Good evening to you. Let's be turning our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be focusing on a few verses there. 1 Peter chapter 2. Hope your Lord's Day has gone uh, really well. It's been pretty outside as we all could see. But uh, it's time now for us to focus, and we have been here in worship. Appreciate the good way in which we've uh, been led in prayer. It is good to go to God and worship Him through song. Appreciate Brother Ben helping us in that. Let's take a few minutes now and look into God's Word, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we'll be focusing on what I'm going to call uh, the grounded church. The grounded church. Grounded in the sense of keeping your feet on the ground and uh, reaching for uh, greater faith but keeping our feet on the ground. In different places, the Bible speaks of being grounded, like Colossians 1.23. Paul speaks of being grounded and rooted and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. It's important to be grounded. Why would Peter make such an emphasis upon the church? In 1 Peter 2, he gives a lot of emphasis to the church of our Lord. I've got a couple of reasons in mind. It's important to stay grounded. Peter was speaking to people who were involved in intense suffering. Intense suffering. You see this uh, throughout the epistle of 1 Peter. Uh, Persecution and suffering abounded upon those early saints. If you notice in 1 Peter 1.7, Peter speaks of the fiery trial that was upon them. That was testing whether their faith is real or not. So that's one reason he made such an emphasis on, on the basic truth of the church. And then if you notice in 1 Peter 2 and 25, Peter remarks that some are straying away like sheep, and they need to return to the shepherd and bishop of their souls. We are forgetful people. We're forgetful. We forget God. Sometimes we forget the most basic things during suffering. Suffering brings a fog of pain And it helps us to forget the most important eternal matters. And then sometimes we're just forgetful because we get so busy. And we begin to stray like sheep. Before before we know it, we're we're way off the mark as far as what God would have us uh, to be. But then Peter would think that being grounded in the truth, grounded as a church, would be be important because of the schemes of the devil. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be sober... Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's a web of lies everywhere, especially about the church, especially about Christ, especially about religion, especially about the spiritual nature of human beings, especially about the eternal hope of heaven. There's so many lies everywhere. And so it's important, I think, in Peter's mind to keep bringing people back to the basic truth about Christ. And the church. And that's what we got here in 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 4 through 10. And for our reminder, I'd like for us to review some of these remarks about the church. Notice in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, first of all, the church is a spiritual house. The church is a spiritual house, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. As living stones, we are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood unto God to offer up spiritual uh, sacrifices. Notice first. It's a spiritual house, not a physical house. Not a, we're a spiritual people. 
We come together and we see ourselves together and we do things together and we see ourselves physically, but we can't lose sight of the fact that we are spiritual people. We look not at things which are seen, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. We look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. We are, we are spiritual people. It's a spiritual house. We don't, we don't fight spiritually. You know, Jesus made that, that, um, that plain to Pilate. We don't, we don't fight physically. We're not, we're not involved in the carnal warfare. Ours is about uh, capturing the hearts, letting Jesus capture the hearts through the teaching of the gospel, and he uses us uh, in that way. It's a spiritual house. And we are living stones in this house. Each of us, are we are a living stone. Okay. Jesus is the living stone. We are living stones in his house. We're not dead stones. We're not dead stones. Okay. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but thanks be to God that we have come to Christ. We've, we have found the truth. We've, we've learned how to obey. We're sticking with him. We're being faithful uh, to him. Now we are living stones. We are raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6 and verse 4. We come out of the water of baptism and we are alive again. We are, we are alive to God. We are dead to sin, Paul says in Romans 6, 11 and 12, I believe it is. We are dead to sin, but we are alive to God. We are living stones, a spiritual house. And we are built up as living stones. Okay. And... You can see here there is some comparison to the Old Testament, the image of the Old Testament temple. We're not a temple. Okay? Uh, we, for convenience sake, uh, we meet in a building. We meet, we had to meet somewhere. But we're not a physical building. But, Paul, but rather Peter uses the idea of a physical building of the Old Testament to reflect what the truth is for us uh, today. Now in the Old Testament uh, tabernacle, God's presence was there. And so, even so, in our lives, as living stones that, bi- that build up, that, that make up that, that spiritual house, God dwells within us. Okay. This is beautifully portrayed over in Ephesians chapter 2, if you'd like to flip over there right quick. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse uh, 20 following. We are members of the household of God, Ephesians 2 verse 19. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2, verse 20. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, God God dwells within each of us now. All of that in the Old Testament, as, as precious as it was... In that day, it really was previewing our day to when God would dwell in each of us. Okay. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, Know you not that your bodies, they are a temple of the Holy Spirit which you have from God, and you are not your own, you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. See, God dwells within us now. We are a spiritual house. We are we are dwelled, um, we, we are housing the spiritual God. God is a spirit. He, he is with us. He's in our lives. Okay. So we are a spiritual house. And, and as living stones in this spiritual house, we offer up spiritual 
sacrifices, not sacrifices, not not any longer sacrifices of, sacrifices of flesh and blood, but spiritual sacrifices. And we don't have to guess what those are. Uh, Hebrews thirteen fifteen helps us with this. Hebrews thirteen fifteen, uh, through Jesus, the apostle there says, Hebrews thirteen fifteen, through Jesus, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of your lips, making confession to His name. So whenever we use our lips to, to praise God, whether it be through prayer or whether it be through worship, whether it be through singing, that is a spiritual uh, sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, well, Paul says, um, I beg you, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable uh, unto Him, which is your reasonable service, he says. So we, we give our lives to God as a, as a sacrifice. In Philippians uh, chapter 4, 18, Paul is commending that church for sending their funds and their gifts to the gospel. And he said it, their gifts was a sacrifice, an aroma, a fragrance uh, acceptable unto God uh, as a sacrifice. Philippians 4, verse 18. And so when we give, when we worship, when we praise God, when we offer Him more and more of our time and our energy, these are spiritual sacrifices that we give to Him. We are a spiritual house. There's a story that goes back to the days of Sparta, and the, the Sparta king was hosting another king, and he kept bragging uh, to this uh, foreign king about the great walls of Sparta. And this visiting king kept looking for the walls. He didn't see any walls. And um, he said, where are your walls? And the Sparta king, he pointed to his bodyguards and to his soldiers and he said, "Uh, every man is a brick. Every man is a brick. And that that was their fortified wall. The people made up, each of them made up a brick of the fortified wall. That's sort of how it is in God's church, the spiritual house. Each of us, we are a living stone. Individually, we serve the Lord, and then God, in His great providence, brings us together and helps us both individually and together to be a light into the world, a spiritual house. In the second place, notice from 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, Notice that we are a chosen race. We are a chosen race. An elect race or chosen race. We've talked about this before. Uh, chosen simply means that God, a long time ago, He chose the kind of people that would be in His kingdom, that would be in His spiritual house. And if you want to look quickly at Ephesians, uh, if you're still in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him... So He chose us in Him. In other words, uh, those who are willing to accept Jesus and the work that He did on the cross and be baptized in Him, He chose us in Him. Those who are willing to obey Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and we should be blameless before Him in love. So the type of character uh, is what God chose a long time ago before the foundation of the world. He was able to look down the eons of time and say, this is the kind of people that will be in the house of, of my son. Okay. Holy, blameless, loving people, submissive people, obedient uh, people. And that's what we hope to be 
uh, right now. We are a chosen race. A chosen race. See, We are a conglomerate of people from all over the world. From all nations. From all backgrounds. From a lot of many different neighborhoods. I, I love seeing that phrase in the song this evening. Uh, the gates are open wide in heaven. Uh, there are gates in heaven pictured for us. Gates in heaven. And gates are, according to uh, Revelation 21, the gates are found on the east and west and north and south of the heavenly city. I believe God pictured that so that we would understand that those that would be coming to the heavenly kingdom would come from all over the world. We are a chosen race of people, conglomerate from everywhere. Okay. Anybody who is willing to take Jesus at his word and to accept what he did on that cross of Calvary uh, can be a member of this spiritual house, this chosen, this chosen race. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah prophesies about this house, this church, and he said, all nations shall flow into it. And that's what God uh, set up. We are a chosen race. And then notice also in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, we're not only a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood. I love this little statement. But we're a spiritual house, and we're a chosen race, but we're also a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We understand that we're priests because we just mentioned there in 1 Peter 2, 5, that we offer up spiritual sacrifices. So we're priests. We're royal priests. You can hear that word royal. That means we are, we are priest of the king. Jesus is our king. And the church is his kingdom. We serve as his priest. Okay. And Jesus the king has empowered us in the, under the new covenant to be able to approach God directly. We don't have to go indirectly through a human priest. Rather, uh, we go directly to him. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, uh, this illustrated many times in the book of Hebrews, this direct approach to God is illustrated. But I love the one in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest uh, who, was not, who was not touched with the uh, feeling of our infirmities, but one who is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us then, therefore, with boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. But notice the emphasis on Jesus first there in verse 15. Here's a, someone, unlike any other high priest, Jesus came and he is able to completely sympathize with our weaknesses because he was here. And he did it without sin which means now that he's our example, he's our pattern, he is our go-to, he is our high priest. And because of what he's done, verse 16 occurs. Let us therefore with boldness draw near to the throne of grace, that we may be able to find grace and mercy to help us in time of need. We are a royal priesthood. The the king has empowered us to be able to approach God in a direct fashion. But as the church, 
We are priests. We are a kingdom of priests. Notice this with me from the book of Revelation. uh, Chapter 1, for for example, verse 5. So here John is saying, Revelation 1 verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loved us and has released us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom of priests. He has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We are a kingdom of priests, and we offer up those spiritual uh, sacrifices. One thing that we're able to do is to explain to people that the way to God today is through the blood of Jesus. Whereas in the Old Testament um, system, the emphasis was on the shedding of animal blood. No more. Today it's the blood of Jesus. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. As priests of God, we are showing people how to come to God through the blood of Jesus. Notice this again in Revelation 5 and verse 10. As they offer praise in heaven. Let me just start in verse 9. They sang a new song in heaven. Revelation 5 verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. That's interesting. They shall reign on the earth. How is it that we are reigning on the earth? Well, just simply this. Because we serve the king, we have the very best opportunity to give the very best influence to people in the world. People need the gospel. People need the influence of Christ more than they need anything else on the earth. In the world, in their life, they need that more than anything else. We are the ones. We are the ones that can bring that light to them. Okay, That's all I think that really means is we are king. We are kings and priests in the sense that uh, the Lord has empowered us with the gospel. In a humble way, we go out and serve him and people will see the light of our Lord. We are a spiritual house, the Lord's church is. And we are a chosen race. And we are a royal uh, priesthood. But notice in the next place in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, we are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. Again, just like verse 5, it's not a physical nation, it's a spiritual nation. We are Abraham's heirs, according to Galatians 3 and verse 29. We belong to Christ and we are Abraham's heirs. You back up to Galatians 3, 27, we've been baptized... Into Christ, and we have put on Christ. Okay. That makes us uh, someone who belongs to Christ, and that makes us heirs of Abraham, and heirs according to the promise. Okay. Children of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. We are a spiritual uh, nation, but not just a spiritual nation, a holy nation. Holy nation, separated. Separated. We mentioned before the suffering and the straying and the schemes of the devil. This was a great temptation then as it is now. The temptations of the flesh are strong. It's, it's easy to give up to the temptations of the flesh. 
Peter reminds them, we are a holy nation. We're a holy priesthood. We're separated. Notice a statement from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. And look down with me quickly to verse uh, 14. 1 Peter 1, 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. All of us have been there. All of us at some point in our lives had a former ignorance. And in that former ignorance, we were slaves to the passions of our flesh. Okay. Do not be conformed to that former style of life. Now notice verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's a high standard. High and holy standard. That's what the Lord calls us to be. We are a we're a holy nation. And then he says that we are a possessed people. A people for God's own possession. Notice there in verse 9, 1 Peter 2 again. Notice, people for God's own possession. We got there because of the blood of Jesus. As you know, we're bought in his blood, Acts 20, verse 28. He's purchased us uh, with his blood. We have been bought with a price. We mentioned that a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are now God's possession. We belong uh, to him. Oftentimes, things are valuable because, not really of the thing itself, but because of who it might have belonged to. I've got a walking stick in my office. I may need it one day, but I've got it because it belonged to Leo. You know, i got several things that Leo's family didn't want, but I've, I've got them because of who it belonged to, not because of what it is. Per se, because of who it belonged to. We are valuable because God owns us. God owns us. We are a people and we're possessed by God. And we're possessed for two big reasons, Peter says here. Okay, you notice this? We're possessed because we are to proclaim the excellencies. Of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that in your Bible. So we are to be proclaiming all the goodness of God. And we are to be behaving ourselves again. We were once darkness. From Paul's words in Ephesians 5 and uh, verse 8 and 9. We were once darkness. Now we're children of light. Darkness was... Our former way of living. Now we are in his marvelous light. We are a possessed people. We're valued by God. But also we are purposed by God. To proclaim. And to behave. And the Lord is counting on us to do both of those things. So notice this. Just real quickly. Notice that we are a spiritual house. Verse 5, 1 Peter 2. Notice that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. 
We are a holy nation. We are a people possessed by God. And then finally this evening, we are a people connected to Christ. Connected to Christ. This causes us to be the most secure people in the world. It ought to be. We are connected to Christ. Can you get over that? Can, can we really understand that? Do we really realize the, the depth of the meaning behind that idea? We are connected to Christ. We wouldn't be any of these things except for Christ. And I believe that's why Peter goes ahead and gives us three or four descriptions of Christ. We'll quickly notice those before we close out our lesson. But if you're there in 1 Peter 2, you'll see those uh, with me. Notice, as we said, look at 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Jesus is the living stone. He's the living stone. I love that. He's the living stone. He is that because he was once dead. And now he's alive. He's alive forevermore. Jesus himself, Revelation 1, 17, 18, Jesus himself put his right hand upon John and said, Fear not. I am the living one. I, I was dead. I had died. I am the Alpha and the Maker. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I'm the living one. We can be a very secure, connected people when we think about how Jesus conquered death. Remember we were talking this morning Jesus stayed on the cross, but by staying on the cross, He showed us a power that few understand. The power of letting go of yourself. By letting go of yourself, you are conquering so many things. Jesus conquered death. Jesus destroyed the devil. Jesus opened up the gates of heaven for us because He stayed on that cross. But not just staying on the cross but also being resurrected on that third day. Jesus is the living stone. Notice also here in 1 Peter 2, Jesus is that rejected stone. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. We know that Jesus was rejected. It was prophesied that He would be despised and rejected from Isaiah 53 and 1 through 3. We know by reading John 1, 10 through 12, 10 to 12, that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. So Jesus was, was rejected by many. But notice what it says here. This is important for us. Rejected by men, but so precious to God. Precious to God. We could just open up our heart, the hearts of our young people, and just pour this into them and then poured into all of our, our heads and hearts that to be rejected of men does not mean you're rejected by God. In fact, usually it's the very opposite. Okay. People mistreat you. People ignore you. People disdain you because of who you are as a Christian. That just simply means you are chosen and precious to God. 
Jesus was rejected of men, but precious, chosen by God. The rejected stone. Jesus is a living stone. He's a, re- He's a rejected stone. But notice also here in 1 Peter 2, He is that foundation stone. Notice it from 1 Peter 2 and verse 6. Quotation, I believe, from Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Zion means Jerusalem. Jerusalem. A stone was laid in Jerusalem. Jesus, of course, died in Jerusalem. Jesus resurrected Jerusalem. The church, day of Pentecost, Jerusalem. Jesus is that foundation stone. We hear Him speaking with Peter in Matthew 16. Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say unto you, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. And I'll give unto you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It is Peter who is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Behold, I lay in Zion, Jerusalem, a stone, not just any stone, Christ Jesus. There's no greater foundation than Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11 says, No other greater foundation than that which has been laid, that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's the foundation stone. But notice here in 1 Peter 2, not only is he the foundation stone, but notice he is a stone called the cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, verse 7. We mentioned this a little bit in our parable study Wednesday evening in class in the auditorium. Jesus is the cornerstone. The stone which was rejected by the builders, the Jewish people, has become the head of the corner. Jesus is that cornerstone. Can we really grasp what it is to be connected to Christ? A cornerstone is um, the stone that gives strength to two converging walls. And oh how Jesus did that. Two converging walls. Think about it. In Jesus Christ, you see both eternity and time. Eternity and time come together in Jesus. In Jesus, both deity, God, Godhood, and man come together. In Jesus, both mercy... And justice come together. In Jesus, both Jew and Gentile come together. Has there ever been anyone like the Lord on the earth? Of course not. And we remember the words from John 1.14. The Word, Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He brought together both time and eternity, God and humanity. And Jesus brought together both mercy and justice. How was God going to do this? Only through His Son. He wanted to extend mercy to us, His people, who are sinners. He understands us. 
But how was justice to be brought about? Well, by allowing his son to be the perfect sacrifice, payment if you will, atonement if you will, for sin. Only in Jesus can we find both mercy and justice from God. He's the cornerstone. If Jesus is that to the world, if Jesus can bring together both time and eternity, if Jesus can bring together both Godhood and humanity, if Jesus can bring together both justice and mercy, if Jesus can bring together both Jew and Gentile, then Jesus, Jesus can certainly put together our lives. He can put our lives back together. He can give us direction in our lives. He is just that great. But also Peter says that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so as plain and simple and as loving and merciful as the gospel is, some will not receive it. Jesus is still the rejected stone. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That is, to some people they stumble over Jesus... Others are offended at him. It's much like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 and 23 when he said, We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews of what? Stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto us who are saved, us who are called, it is Christ the power of God. It's all about your heart. Condition your heart. To the Jews, they saw somebody defeated, taken down, killed, crucified, beaten. He's gone. Unto the Greeks, in their self-centered, intellectual, sophisticated way of life, they saw Jesus of Nazareth as being not worthy of their attention. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it was foolishness. But unto us who know better, unto us who look at the cross with a good and open heart, it's Christ the power of God. Notice this one with me. This is a little bit more um, unusual, or I would say we don't look at this verse as much. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. At least I don't look at this verse enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 teaches basically the same thing, but just in different words. I want to start with you. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. That's good news. And through us, He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That's even better news. Okay. Through Christ, we are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. And in verse 15, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. What makes the difference there? What makes the difference of those who go life to life or from death to death? And I would take this, just looking at it on the surface here. If you are spiritually dead as we all begin to be with our sins and you never submit to the gospel, then you remain spiritually dead and then you'll end up in eternal death. 
but to those who respond to the sweet-smelling aroma of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they come out of this spiritual death and come to a spiritual life in Christ. We're living stones. And then eventually we'll be with God at His throne, with the Lord, with the Lamb, and enjoying eternal life. What, What makes the difference? Well, it's all about the condition of the heart. To the Jews it was a stumbling block. Under the Greeks it was foolishness. Under some it was a fragrance that led them to death. Others it was a sweet smelling aroma that would lead them to life. To life. Okay. And according to Peter, this living stone called Jesus lead people to either stumble, be offended, or to obey Him. Isn't it wonderful to think about the simplicity of the church? That's all I wanted to do with you this evening from 1 Peter 2. Peter was looking at a, at a mess in the world. Okay? Suffering everywhere. People straying away from the gospel. People fall into the web of lies that's, that's everywhere brought about through Satan's work. Peter said, I need to remind them of who we are as the church. And as the body of Christ this evening, as the spiritual house of the Lord Jesus, we invite anyone who may be listening this evening to come home to the Lord. There's no better place to be. It's really a place you just cannot afford not to have in your life. We must be with the Lord. He has the keys of death and Hades. He's our only hope. Do you need to come to Him this evening? Please make that known right now as we stand together and as we sing.